Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We celebrate um, Palm Sunday, and and um, I never really used to celebrate Palm Sunday. I grew up in church, and it seemed like a thing people did. They got some palms, and really, what was the what was the purpose of it? Why why do we need these these palms? And um, so, I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about the purpose of the palms for this purpose. When you are reading your Bible, you're going to notice that Jesus actually says these three words, for this purpose, following his triumphal entry. And, and when, you, uh, when you hear the word triumphal entry, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Palm Sunday is the triumphal entry of Jesus. That's, that's when he came into Jerusalem and they celebrated him as King, they they thought he was he was it. He was, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But they thought he was coming to set them free from Roman occupation. So I want to take our Bibles, and hopefully you have them with you. If you don't have them, hopefully you'll you'll find one. Get the Bible app, sign into your Bible app. By the way, the sermon should be uh, on our Bible app this morning, so you can. Uh, follow along, take notes, highlight, underline the scriptures. When, when the Lord speaks to your heart, um, you, can, you can actually record that in your Bible app or maybe in the margin of your paper Bible. And I think that's super important uh, for your spiritual growth going forward. So John chapter 12, beginning in verse number 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when he found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt, for his disciples did not understand these things at first, But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So the disciples are all caught up in this moment and they don't even realize that they're part of the fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy. Later on, they begin to understand, whoa, this is a lot bigger than following some guy from Nazareth. This is This is earth-shattering. This is world-shaking. And so, even though they didn't understand it at first, they later understood it. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they bore witness of these things. Um, For this reason, the people also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. 
That wasn't too long before this Holy Week, what we refer to as Passion Week. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you're accomplishing nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. That's kind of a weird little phrase in this whole paragraph. Like, what is this Pharisee thing? Why are they saying this? Why are they doing this? Um, the Pharisees hated Jesus. Jesus came with such authenticity and such grace and spoke with such power that the Pharisees, who were the ruling class of the day, they were religious rulers of the day, and they, they, they had immense power, um, they just hated it. They loathed the fact that Jesus was getting attention. They loathed the fact that Jesus uh, was drawing crowds to himself, and they had continually tried to undermine Jesus, right? And uh, they're realizing that they've not really done a great job, like the whole city is coming out after him. And there's a good reason for that. He, he had a sign. The sign was he raised this guy Lazarus from the dead, who was only about a mile and three quarters, three miles or so from the city of Jerusalem. So word spread that this guy Lazarus was raised from the dead. So he comes into Jerusalem. The story of the triumphal entry is one of contrasts. It, it, it's, um, it's the story of a king who came as a lowly servant on a donkey, not on a, not on a war horse coming to conquer. He came into the city to proclaim his spiritual kingdom, but the people were looking for an earthly kingdom. He came as a spiritual king. They were looking for a physical king. He came to free them from the bonds of sin and the fear of death. They wanted him to free them from the bonds of Roman tyranny. And they really had no mind toward physical death or eternal life. They were mistaken about what Jesus was about they thought he was coming to reign on earth. They thought he was coming to free them. He came for another purpose. His purpose was not to establish a physical kingdom on the earth in the way that we typically think of physical kingdoms. We celebrate today because we know, like the disciples did after the fact, we know why he came. We understand that this was kicking off something that was going to be unique and special in the world. Not just his death, but his resurrection. We celebrate knowing what's coming. A few days before Jesus made his triumphal entry, he, he was in Bethany and he had this conversation. And this event happened. And... Um, it was an event that's been immortalized in Scripture and might seem, seem odd to us being Westerners 2,000 years removed. It was an event where one of his disciples broke a jar of incredibly valuable ointment or uh, what are those essential oils that are super expensive now? Anybody know? Because essential oils heal everything. If you practice that, I'm just kidding with you. Um, but... She, she took this jar of incredibly expensive ointment and she broke it and she washed his feet with it. And I want to read this passage. It's very powerful. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served 
But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. You imagine what this must have been like for those that were part of that circle, looking at a guy that was dead and rotting in the tomb, now healthy and whole, sitting at dinner with them. It's, it's not often referred to, but the Jews didn't just want to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill Lazarus too. He had a price on his head because he was a living, breathing, walking sign of the deity and the power of Jesus. Mary, one of Jesus' disciples, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, he got, he got all cranky. He said, why is this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. The poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. For this purpose, Jesus was alluding to his purpose. And as I was reading this passage of scripture this week, I was once again taken back by the enormous resolve of Christ. You see, Jesus knew what was coming. Now, I don't know when the father revealed this to the son. I don't really know if he knew it from the time he was a teenager, younger, older. I know this. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and he grew in stature. So there were some things withheld from him while he was in his physical body on the earth. But somewhere along the way, he began to understand that his mission was to die for the sins of the world. For this purpose, he knew what was coming. He knew it. And he went anyways. We have heroes today. While we're in the middle of this crisis, I think of, I think of this story of the Red Beret. It was, a, it was a man during 9-11 who kept running back into the tower. And he would run up the stairs. And he was saving people's lives. And he ended up, he ended up dying. Um, he ended up dying in that terrible tragedy. But he saved dozens of people's lives. And later on, as his parents were trying to unearth what happened to their son, they kept hearing the stories of this man in a red beret. Uh, and so when I, when I read this about Jesus, he was like one of our heroes running in to the fire. He was running into the trouble. He wasn't running away from the trouble. It wasn't spontaneous with Jesus. Now, some of us have experienced this. We'll spontaneously run toward trouble, right? Jesus had known this, I believe, for years, that this was what he was going to face. Some of us, when we struggle with anxiety, that's, that's part of the problem. We, we know what's coming, or we think we do, and we have time to ruminate on it. We have time to think about it. And the more we think about it, the worse it gets, right? Well, Jesus had a lot of time to think about this. And yet he still had this amazing and enormous resolve. We know what those early first century Jews didn't know. We know that the Messiah, looking back now, we have the benefit of 2020 vision, right? Hindsight. Looking back, we know the Messiah came to die for the sins of the world. 
and to conquer an enemy that most would assume is unconquerable. Jesus came to save us spiritually. And that's sort of a first things first idea. Does Jesus care about our physical lives? Of course he does. But the priority for Jesus is to redeem us from sin and to turn death way into a doorway to eternal life. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Why did Jesus come? What is the purpose of Palm Sunday? Why do we still celebrate it today when they celebrated it 2,000 years ago? And what's the difference? The difference is we're celebrating that this was the beginning of the end of his ministry where we were redeemed if we know him, right? Now, there were certain Greeks, this is after all of the celebration. So Palm Sunday was like crazy. I want you to think Palm Sunday is like the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl again, right, for the sixth time, and people are flooding the streets of Boston, and you have this bus, and Tom Brady's on the bus, and Julian Edelman's on the bus, and Gronk's on the bus, and Belichick's on the bus, and... And, and all these, these patriots on the bus and they're throwing footballs into the crowd. The crowd's throwing stuff up to them and they're signing things. That was what it was like for Jesus on Palm Sunday. Like the world, all of a sudden, that world at that time, the city of Jerusalem was turned upside down and they were celebrating. Here comes the champion. Here comes the king. This was a big moment. It was a declaration that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Even though they didn't fully understand what that meant, they realized this is a big deal. And he came in and, and there was a celebration. It was loud. It was glorious. And then this moment happened. There were certain Greeks who came, uh, who, among those, who came to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who, who was a disciple of Jesus from Bethsaida of Galilee. And they asked him, saying, sir, we want to see Jesus. That's interesting to me, because so does everybody else. And I don't know how they got through to Philip, but Philip went to his brother, Andrew, and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, let's go tell Jesus that these Greeks want to see him. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now, interesting that he says this now. Now, after the triumphal entry, after Palm Sunday, after, after all of these accolades, after the parade, now he says, my soul is troubled. And we're beginning to get a peek into the last week of Jesus. He endured and he had resolve. Uh, but for people that think Jesus going to the cross was a simple thing and an easy thing to do, Oh, he's God. He could do anything. You, you completely miss the humanity of Christ. Matter of fact, the title that he gave to himself, he was God the Son. He was the Son of God. But the title that he gave to himself was the Son of Man. Because he wanted to identify with his humanity and ours. So here he is. The Greeks want to see you. Everybody wants to see Jesus. And here he is. And he says, now is my soul troubled. 
And what shall I say? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Save me from this difficult thing. Save me from this trial. I came for this trial. I came for this hour. I came to suffer. This is why I came. Now we know later on, and we're going to look at that this week, each night at 7 o'clock, one of our different leaders in the church is going to share something from the Passion Week of Christ. And one of those things is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus does struggle again with this hour, with this purpose. Father, glorify your name, he says. He goes on. And then a voice from heaven. A voice from heaven came saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again for this purpose. For this purpose. The hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the cheering crowds, this wasn't the time of the glory. The glory was coming in the cross. The glory was coming at the empty tomb. The the crowds in Jerusalem and Palm Sunday, that was just the beginning. That was so small compared to what was about to happen. The Father spoke from heaven And people on earth heard it and were shook. Jesus says, my my soul is troubled. My, My time is near. The weight of the world is beginning to show on Jesus. The weight of our sin was beginning to be realized in the mind and the heart of Christ. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he carried all of the sins of all mankind for all time. I want you to think about that for a second. When I look back at my life, be 50 years next month, there's a lot of sin in my life. If I'm just be honest with you, I know that you you all are watching me and you're the pastor and pastors don't sin. Well, I know a lot of pastors and I haven't yet met one that doesn't sin. There's a lot of sin in my life over a period of 50 years. And when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he knew that that sin was on him. I want you to think about your life. There's a lot of sin in your life, and people don't like to admit that. They don't like to think about that. But the reality is, unless you face your sin, you're going to be stuck in your sin forever. And you're going to die in it and be separated from God forever. But this is the burden that Jesus was beginning to feel this Passion Week. He was beginning to feel the weight of the world settling on his shoulders. He said, come unto me, all you that are weary, all you that are heavy laden. Come unto me and take my yoke upon you because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. He's exchanging burdens with us. And the burden that he's taking from us is the burden of our guilt, the burden of our shame, the burden of our sin. 
Now, I want you to think, you're thinking about your sin right now. Maybe you're 30 years old, 30 years of sin. Let me tell you something. He took past, present, future. So he didn't just take the 37 or 8 years of Angel's sin. He didn't just take the 49 or 50 years of my sin. He didn't just take the... I'm not going to say how many years of sin my ladies have here built up. But he took the sin you're going to do tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day after that. And then he took the sin of your brother, of your sister, of your mother, of your father. He took the sin of Hitler. He took the sin of Herod. He took the sin of Mussolini. He took the sin of every man that's in jail right now down the street in Valley Street in Manchester. He took all of the sins of all the world. He took the sins that are the good sins that we don't really mind. Oh, I got drunk last night, I got wasted, or I was a real jerk to my wife, or I lied, or I cheated, or I, you know, I stole something. He didn't just take the good sins. He took all of the bad sins as well. He took the rapes. He took the murders. He took the genocide. He took all sin. Now we begin to see, when I say the weight of the world, the perversion of this world was on him. And he's beginning to feel it. And he says, now is my soul troubled. The time is near. He didn't come to serve and he didn't come to be saved. He came to serve and save us from death and something worse than death. He came to save us from our sin. And in this moment, as he's heading in to this incredibly difficult week, I think as the weight of the world is beginning to settle on him, and you can almost see a different posture in Jesus, this resolve, this determination, as he's facing this, and he said, like I said, I'm, I'm just reading this. What shall I say? Father, save me from this? No. This is why I came. For this purpose, I come. You see, into this resolve, this voice bellows from heaven, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. Son, stay the course. You're doing well. Oh, am I so grateful for the relationship between the Father and the Son? The encouragement the Father poured out from heaven. And those that, that heard this voice said it sounded like thundering, it, it shook. The earth. It was, it was impressive and powerful. And it reminds me of two other times in the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry when he was baptized. This same voice thundered from heaven, announcing the coming of his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that set off Jesus' earthly ministry, the approval of the Father, the support of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then at the apex of his ministry, when he takes three of his best friends up to this mountain, today we refer to it as the Mount of Transfiguration. It was a moment in time where Jesus actually allowed his inner circle to view his deity to see him as more than just a man. It was when they pulled back the veil on Jesus' humanity and showed the God-man behind it. 
he was transfigured before him and he shone with this bright and intense light and they fell on their faces. And in that moment, he met with two Old Testament saints and it was this amazing thing where they realized life is eternal and this is a big deal. And they saw the transfiguration of Jesus. In that moment, there was a voice from heaven again, God the Father bellowing from heaven, thundering from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. These disciples are beginning to understand halfway through their journey, roughly, that Jesus is more than a man. And then the beginning of the Passion Week, the Father speaks again from heaven. And he tells the world that he is pleased with his son. Oh, it's such a big deal. It's an amazing thing to me. For this purpose, I have come. For this purpose. The purpose was to die for the sins of the world. The purpose was to pave the way to the Father. Earlier, uh, um, before his crucifixion, he said to his disciples, I am the way the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now I know I have people of different denominations, different faith traditions listening and watching now. It's not a Baptist way. It's not a non-denominational way. It's not a Catholic way. It's not a Lutheran way. It's not an Episcopalian way. The way to the Father was paved by the Son. He said, no man comes to the Father but by me. He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. The gate in the way that Jesus was talking about when he was preaching earlier in his ministry was the size of a human being, the width of a man's shoulders. That man was Jesus. He is the doorway. He is the way to the Father. This is why he came. He came to turn death to life. He came to turn hell to heaven. He came to to turn hopelessness to hope. His purpose was so much higher than purely physical care. It was eternal love. That was the purpose of Jesus. Now the Jews, the early Israelites, they were looking for that physical purpose. They were looking for that material well-being. I mentioned this last week that there are some preachers and they have they've gotten caught up in what we refer to as a prosperity gospel. They've gotten caught up in material blessings. They've gotten caught up in misinterpreting scripture that by his stripes we are healed from every ailment and they have missed the boat entirely because their focus is on the now. Their focus is on material. Their focus is on the physical. And Jesus didn't come purely for the physical. As a matter of fact, the physical was second, third, and fourth on Jesus' list of priorities, folks. When he rose Lazarus from the dead, he rose him from the dead, he raised him rather from the dead, not just because Mary and Martha were weeping and his good friends were crying and they missed him. He raised Lazarus from the dead as a sign to those early first century Jews that he was the Messiah. And you see that that sign worked. They understood it. He's different than any other prophet that came before him. He came to die and to pave that way. More than just physical and material care. He came to care for our souls. Um, have you met him like that? Or is he just someone that fed the 5,000? Is he just someone that can feed you on earth, but when he doesn't, you turn your back on him? 
Listen, spirituality is the most important thing. Eternal life is the most important thing. Um, in the last two weeks, I've shared some passages of Scripture that have comforted me and strengthened me on my trial, my journey uh, that I've walked on this earth for the last 28 years. And the Lord gave me another passage in, in 1 Corinthians. And in this passage, He talks about the eternal versus the temporary. And one of the phrases he says is that we have this treasure, eternal life, in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the glory may be revealed through us. Christians, what he means by that is even when our earthly vessel is breaking down, even when our earthly vessel gets, vessel gets sick, even when our earthly journey gets difficult, because we have this gift of eternal life given to us through Jesus Christ, His glory shines even brighter through our weakness. Many who celebrated Palm Sunday, many who celebrated Palm Sunday died without ever having recognized their need to trust in Jesus alone. They were only looking for a physical Salvation. They were only looking for relief from Roman occupation. They were only looking for what can you do for me today, Jesus. They were looking for the bread. They were looking uh, for the fish. They were looking for physical and material gifts. These people sang. They worshipped. And they fulfilled a 500-year-old prophecy, but they were still lost. As a matter of fact, Roughly six days later, the crowd that was crying out, Hosanna to God in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, were crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Why? Because he did not meet their physical and material demands. He came for something greater. Are you like them, still lost? Are you still looking for Jesus to just heal you physically? Are you looking for Jesus to fulfill you materially? Or have you come to a place where you recognized the spiritual is what is eternal? You know, we're facing a tremendous epidemic. The estimates I've heard most recently say that the peak should come between next Sunday and the 21st. And this is changing every day, right? Our life is like a vapor. This is what the Scriptures teaches us, and really the older you get, the more you realize just how short life is. My youngest is 14 years old. It was just yesterday that he was born. I found a video when we got Edgar, gosh, it's five or six years ago, where Nate is taking this video of my dog when he's a puppy. And his voice is like this. Come on, Edgar. And you blink, and now his voice is like this. And there's another man in my house, and it's really bizarre to me. And you're going to blink again. 
and you're going to have grandchildren. One of the kids in my youth group, I call her Winnie. She's having a baby. Um, my wife and I like took her into our family. She was with us all the time. I referred to her as the daughter of my heart. And uh, we literally feel like we're becoming grandparents with this kid. It's really not right because we're not flesh and blood, but I'm like, wait a second. This, this, these white hairs on my beard mean something. It goes by like that. It goes by so fast. Chloe is almost through her first year of college. Kirsten is going to be 30 in a, in a year or two. I forget how old she is. Um, is she 29 or 28? 28? Melissa says 28. My eldest will be 30 in a couple of years. Life is like a vapor. If you don't believe that, you haven't lived into your 30s probably. When you begin to realize getting out of bed sometimes is difficult, you begin to realize life is like a vapor. This epidemic, this pandemic is showing us life is like a vapor. And as wonderful as our life can be, and I hope that it is, and I hope I live to a ripe old age, it ends. What happens then? Is that it? The reality is eternity, eternity is, is far longer in scope and greater in scope than this temporal presence this earthly existence. The purpose of Jesus was to secure our eternity with him. So I ask you this question, are you burdened this morning with your sin? Are you sick and tired of the guilt and the shame? Well, that's why Jesus came. He didn't come to give you physical health. He didn't come to give you wealth. He didn't come to guarantee that you will not get COVID-19 or the coronavirus, which leads to it. He didn't come so some, mm, I'm going to call him a false teacher, could get up on his platform and shout, COVID-19, I breathe you out in the name of Jesus. Some of you might have seen this video going around. It's the height of foolishness. Jesus didn't come to stomp out diseases in the world, not right now. One day, our world will be remade and will be perfect and beautiful as if the fall had never happened. But until then, there's going to be disease. Until then, there's going to be death. Until then, there's going to be sin. There's going to be evil. Jesus came to secure our eternity. And the only way we can escape evil and death is to have Christ in our hearts as our Savior. He let no one and nothing stand in his way. He didn't even let one of his favorite disciples, Peter, stand in his way of dying for our sins. As Jesus was preparing himself to go to Jerusalem the second time, second time, after the triumphal entry, Peter got up and basically said to Jesus, over my dead body, are you going to Jerusalem? They hate you and they want to kill you. And Jesus looked at Peter, and this is the famous statement, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you have more regard for the things of men than the things of God. And what he was saying was, Peter, you're more concerned about this life right now, these earthly treasures, than you are about eternity. And he pushed Peter aside, and he went to die on the cross for our sin. If, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, at the end of this short life, we would all be bound 
for an eternity in hell, separated from our Creator. But when God created the heaven and the earth, He had a plan in place because He knew His creation would rebel, and that plan was Jesus to pave the way back to Himself and to draw the world to Himself. Will you let your religion, will you let your guilt and shame stand between you and God? Or will you come to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And will you place your faith in Christ alone for the gift of the forgiveness of your sin, the salvation of your eternal soul? Will you put things in perspective that this life is like a vapor, but there is something far heavier and weightier, and that is eternity. Will you secure your eternity with Jesus? Now listen, the benefits of doing that are immeasurable. Not only is our destination changed, our destiny changed, but once you have trusted Christ for your eternity, He does step into your present. Now He doesn't always take away the trials and the troubles, but His presence brings this immeasurable comfort with it. That's why the Apostle Paul, who was so much like Jesus, but he was an ordinary guy like you and me, when he was saved from his sin, when he was rescued and redeemed from his brokenness, God showed him that he was going to suffer through his whole life as he spread the good news of Jesus. You imagine that? How did Paul have that kind of resolve to know that following Christ was going to lead to suffering? How did he know that? Or how could he do that? He could do it because not only was his eternity secure, but when he put his faith in Jesus, when he put his faith in Jesus, the Lord stepped into his life and was present with him from that time forever. There's a duality to being saved, to being redeemed, to being forgiven. Not only is our destiny secured, but our present is occupied by Christ. Turn in your Bibles, if you could, to Mark chapter 10. That's his purpose, was to save your soul. I want to talk about our purpose. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever you are, whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, there is the title he took upon himself. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and here it is, to give his life a ransom for many. What is your purpose? During this time of dread, death, and uncertainty, it can be easy to be caught up with anxiety. It can be easy to lose sight of eternity. It can be easy to lose sight of the reality of the presence of Jesus. And we can lose sight of our purpose. And what is our purpose? Church, our purpose is to serve and to seek and to lead people to Jesus. This is our purpose. We need to get about it. 
You know, why have, I, why have I continually said, share this dream, share this dream, share this dream? Why have I challenged the church to take invite cards, to talk to your friends about Jesus, to share your story as it's intersected with his story? Why do I do this? Because this is our purpose. Listen, do we want to feed those that are hungry? Absolutely. We have a tremendous food pantry. Jen Johnson does such a great job with our food pantry, and we're helping people that are registering, that are impacted by, by this um, this COVID-19 coronavirus, we're, we're helping people that way. We have Jen Manter who's been sewing masks for our healthcare workers and for others that need them. And she's doing it absolutely for free, giving these things away. And there are people in our church that are buying her supplies. And listen, if you want to help Jen, you let me know in the messages here or in the comments, hey, I want to give Jen a hand. I want to be a part of that. Um, Meals for Wheels, Need Volunteers, Emmanuel, we should rise up. If you have time on your hands and you want, to be a, you want to make an impact on the world right now and love people well, help out Meals for Wheels. What a fantastic program that is to help the least fortunate among us. But all of that being said, if we feed people, if we feed the 10,000, the 5,000 like Jesus did, but we don't tell them about the hope for their eternity, we've only done the least we could do. We need to share with them that Jesus' coming was for an eternal and spiritual and enduring purpose. How did Jesus endure the times that he faced, the struggle that he faced? Well, he looked forward to the goal of what he was going to accomplish. In Hebrews, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Folks, if we lose sight of our purpose, if we lose sight of our goal, our endurance will begin to wane, begin to fail and fade. But when we keep Jesus forefront in our minds and we keep bringing people to Jesus and sharing the gospel and showing them that there's hope not just for today, but for eternity, when we set that purpose deep into our hearts, that can make a change and an impact now and forever. Listen, If we're not careful, we could become like those first century Israelites. And we can bring the purpose, the eternal, spiritual, invaluable purpose of Jesus. We can bring it down to earth in a material, physical, and self-promoting way. Like them, we can bring Jesus' story down to today in a mundane way that ignores their souls and only feeds their flesh. Folks, we cannot do that. Church, we cannot do that. We must connect all that we do for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for their eternal life and the forgiveness of their sins and ours. Don't forget the purpose is greater and feeding, clothing, and housing those that need it. We need to give them an eternal home. Jesus was not the hero of the biblical story because he healed the sick. Did he heal the sick? Yes, he healed the sick. 
But that wasn't what made Jesus the hero of the story. Jesus was not the hero of the story because he fed those that were hungry. Did he feed those that were hungry? Yes, he fed those that were hungry. But he's not the hero of the story because of that. He's not the hero of the story even because he raised people from the dead. Did he raise people from the dead? Unbelievably so. Raised a little girl from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. But that's not what made Jesus the hero of eternity. What makes Jesus the hero of eternity is that he died on the cross and he took the burden. Now is my soul troubled, he said. He took the burden of our sin in his body as if he had committed those sins. He took them in himself, the sinless one, to die for a sinful world. And that, my friend, is why he's the hero, because he did something that no one else could do. Church, can other organizations feed the hungry? Absolutely. Matter of fact, that's why I say, let's partner. Let's get out there and volunteer with these amazing organizations. Can other people clothe those, uh, those that need clothing? Absolutely. Can other people and other organizations provide shelter? Yes, they can. But can other organizations provide eternal life, forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven, a spiritual presence that will walk with them, through their suffering like no one else, there is no other organization on the earth that has been ordained by God but the church. This is why he is the hero. Because he gave his life for something that matters more than this physical life. So church, we need to rise up and we need to love well Yes, we need to do the material things. But there's a very real danger of getting caught up in the mundane, in the ordinary. There's a very real danger of forgetting that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And all of his service was geared toward drawing the world to himself and showing the world that he loves them like no one else does. So now, if you have never met Jesus personally, you say, Pastor, I never really thought of it like that. I want to invite you to trust Jesus this morning. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, period. It's not whoever turns over a new leaf. It's not whoever, who, whoever makes a commitment and says, From now on, I'm going to be good and do good. That has nothing to do with it. It is Jesus alone. If you believe in your heart that God sent his only begotten son to earth to die on the cross for your sin, that when he said, now is my soul troubled, it was troubled because he saw your sin, past, present, and future, and he knew that it was going to be coming on his shoulders. If you understand that he took your place and died for your sin and that he rose from the grave, if you believe that, would you call on him this morning? and receive the gift of eternal life and the presence of Christ in your existing life now? Would you do that with me? Pray with me, Lord Jesus, God Almighty. I come before you and I, I'm a sinner by birth and by choice. And I've come to recognize, Jesus, that you came for the purpose of seeking and saving people like me, people that have sinned and that are sired and sick of our sin. 
and long to be free of it. Father God, I ask that you would forgive me of this sin, that you would give me a new life, that you would receive the sacrifice of Jesus for my sin. Now I ask that you make me your son or your daughter. Save my eternal soul. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you've prayed with me this morning and you truly spoke from your heart, the Bible says that you've been born again. It's not about religion. It's not about a church. It's about trusting Jesus alone. Not in your good works, but in His good work. In church, we need to continue to help those in need. We need to love them well, materially and physically. But we can never lose sight of our purpose. The material and physical love will one day end. And when that ends, what happens then? We need to keep our eyes on our purpose, which is to spread the gospel of Jesus and to love people well. So hey, bless God, bless others. Now I say get out there and be the blessing, but get out there and be the blessing practicing social distancing. Be the blessing by making a phone call to those that don't have internet, by sending a text message to those that can't get out, by offering to pick up groceries, medications. Be the blessing by loving well and by sharing your story about how Jesus came and saved you from the penalty of your sin and gave you eternal life and is present in your life now walking with you. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.